guys, welcome back to our teaching in the Gospel of John. Now, the last time we were here, we were in chapter 12 as we dealt with two particular issues. The anointing of Jesus by Mary, as well as Jesus' entry into Jerusalem. And all of this was the time setting of his final Passover. With the anointing of Jesus, we know that it was Judas who was the primary spokesperson, but the other disciples also chimed in as well complaining because Mary took very uh, expensive oil to anoint the feet of Jesus and they complained about this and Jesus rebuked his disciples telling them that uh, she was preparing his body for burial. This somehow went into one ear and came out of the other ear of the apostles. They really didn't seem to pay this much attention because if they actually did, you'd have seen them kind of being shocked by it. But nevertheless, the scripture records nothing said from them about this particular issue, but this is the whole scenario, the final Passover of Jesus, when Jesus himself, who is the true Passover lamb, will give his body as a sacrifice for sins. But nevertheless, so in this whole scenario of the final Passover, we see Jesus entering into Jerusalem again for the final time. Remember, the people had been expecting, wondering whether or not he would come into Jerusalem or not because of all of this fanfare that was that had actually built around Jesus and his uh, claim to be both God and Messiah. And so the people were expecting him. So finally, Jesus comes into Jerusalem. And we know that he does all of these things about teaching in the temple. But before he actually gets there, we see what is sometimes referred to in Bibles as the triumphal entry. And that is we see the fanfare with people uh, coming in, bringing in Jesus, escorting him and people coming out from Jerusalem to meet him and the palm branches being set before him and all of them shouting, Hosanna, save Lord, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And all of this, which actually, and I go back and check out the last video and Alex, I explained it with greater detail than I'm doing here in our simple review. But the people greeting him with the messianic greeting, the coming of the Messiah, Feast of the Tabernacles, check out the last video. And they greeted him in this way, but nevertheless, Jesus received this greeting, but he received it not as a political conqueror riding on a horse with a gold crown upon his head with great dignitaries by, by, beside him. No, he received this honor from the people in an humble way, riding on a donkey. And this was to fulfill the words that were spoken by Zechariah the prophet. And so we see finally the Pharisees, remember the whole idea of them was to stop Jesus ultimately to put him to death. But they had decided that they would not put Jesus to death during the season of the Passover because they feared that the people would riot. However, we know that it will be according to the plan of God that Jesus would die in the Passover, but we're not there yet. But anyway, so that concludes our review on that. Now let's go to John, the, the rest of John chapter 12, because we've got a lot of work that actually has to be done. And we're going to try to finish all of it in this one video. All right. Verse number 20. Now there were some Greeks among those who were going up to worship at the feast. These then came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and began to ask him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip came and told Andrew. 
Andrew and Philip came and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them saying, the hour has come for the son of man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and, it, and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. He who loves his life loses it. And he who hates his life in this world will keep it to life eternal. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there my servant will also be. If anyone serves me, the father will honor him. Okay, now we got a lot to deal with in this little packet here. So let's just break it down. So we see now while we're at the Passover, all of a sudden some Greeks desire to see Jesus. Now these Greeks were, and this is what's very, very important about this. Okay, let me, let me slow it down and explain to you why. Throughout the ministry of Jesus, primarily Jesus ministered to the Jewish people, but there were particular occasions in which Jesus would minister to Gentiles, but these would be spot occasions. But nevertheless, as Jesus said to the Greek Syrophoenician, notice what I said, the Greek Syrophoenician woman, she was a Gentile, who came to Jesus seeking healing for her daughter. Remember what Jesus said? It is not proper to give the children, Jews, food to the little dogs, Gentiles. But nevertheless, after Jesus tested her faith, the woman passed the test of, of in persistent uh, of seeking Jesus's blessing. Jesus still healed the Gentile daughter. Now, this was a sampling of blessings that would come in a more fuller sense. But nevertheless, the point that I'm stressing to you guys here is Jesus's primary ministry during his lifetime would be unto the gent I'm sorry, unto the Jewish people. It will not be until after Jesus has resurrected from the dead, ascended into heaven, and this assignment is carried on by his apostles that the gospel of Jesus would spread into the Gentile. And we see this in the book of Acts, to the which we can't talk about right now, but we see this coming in the book of Acts, beginning in, for the most part, chapter 9 with the call of Paul, the apostles chapter 10 with the blessing that when Peter goes to the household of Cornelius and then furthering in chapter 11 and thus forth, you see the gospel spreading to the Gentiles and the Gentiles beginning to dominate as far as number is concerned. Numbers are concerned. The Gentiles began to dominate the church. But anyway, back now to where we are. So the important thing about the Greeks here is this was an unusual situation here that these God fearing Greeks, these are Greeks who would come to the temple to worship. Now they were not, uh, it doesn't seem to say that they were circumcised. If they were circumcised, they would be called proselytes, but it is simply here called Greeks, which seems to suggest that these are simply God fearing Greeks who are at the temple in Jerusalem during the time of the Passover to worship. But the popularity of Jesus has grown so much that even the Greeks are desiring to see Jesus. So this was makes it so important is it, uh, it, it kind of purviews the gospel going to the Gentiles. And this is what Jesus is about to deal with. So 
This becomes so unusual. So what? They go to Philip. Philip doesn't know what to do. He goes to Andrew. Andrew doesn't really know what to do. And so both of them, Philip and Andrew, go to Jesus and say, uh, Jesus, you got some Greeks, some Gentiles who want to see you. And so this shows the unusual nature of the request of the Greeks. But nevertheless, even though it is unusual in the mind of these Jewish disciples, it is still the plan of God and it is known by Jesus. Jesus knows and understands that the gospel, the ministry of Jesus, the word of Jesus is not to be captured only amongst the Jewish people, but is also to spread amongst the Gentile because this is the will and plan of God. But okay, enough said about that. So this is what happened. So when they actually go to Jesus and tells Jesus, informs him of these Gentiles who were looking for him, notice the declaration that Jesus says, the hour has come for the son of man to be glorified. A few things. Number one, the hour of his death. All the while in Jesus' ministry, he has been moving. Things have been advancing to this particular time. And the hour that Jesus is speaking of in his glorification, because he's going to say it all throughout this particular context in chapter 12, both here in the seed that falls to the ground and die, and here later on in being lifted up, He's speaking of his crucifixion. So it moves us. And there's an eschatological point too. So I don't want to move too fast because I think I'm talking kind of fast. There is also an eschatological point. And that's what I was saying when I was talking about in the book of Acts, how the gospel, even though Jesus himself did not minister directly to the Gentiles, but it was the intent of God that after the gospel has gone to the Jew first, Paul, Romans chapter one, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first and then to the Gentiles. So it is the plan of God that the gospel should be spread in this way. Jesus recognizes that it is the time of his death and it is after his death that the gospel should go to the Gentiles. He now refers to his death when he says what the hour has come. And th that, that is his death. Also, it speaks of what death, resurrection and ascension. All of that holistically is implied in this furthering of the ministry. OK, but pointedly, pointedly his death. That hour has come. And when he speaks of that hour, notice the terminology that he uses. Isn't it an interesting terminology? It is not a word that speaks of, of pain and downtroddenness or sadness. It speaks of something that is a good thing. Notice for the son of man to be glorified. Now, Jesus is speaking of his crucifixion as his glorification. You know, sometimes we hear about messages and things about that nature, how Jesus had issues about going to the cross. <laughs> of course, Jesus did not want to endure the pain. Jesus was not masochistic in some way or another. He was not pain he was looking forward to, but doing the will 
of the father and by, by the which he would obtain salvation for the elect. And in doing the God's will and saving his people, Jesus himself is glorified. And this is something that Jesus was not sad about, but Jesus was happy about. So, okay, enough said about that because I'll go too far and we got a lot to tend to. But again, also notice too, terminology. If you've been following me in the teachings of John, notice the title that Jesus used for himself. Son of man. Remember the two primary titles that we see of Jesus in the gospel of John, but really Jesus in all of the gospels, son of God, which refers to his deity, him being God and son of man, which refers to his humanity. Also, we can see what Lord referring to deity, God and Christ. Messiah, referring to humanity, man. But the point here, son of man, referring to his what? His humanity. Why his humanity? Because he is a human being with a human body. And what is the context? He is about to die. He needs to have, he must have a real human body in order for that body to be sacrificed for sin. And this is why he used the term son of man, because it refers to his humanity in that he offers his physical body, his blood for the sacrifice of sin. But anyway, so Jesus now looks forward to the cross. Now that's our context. He looks forward to the cross as these Gentiles are now seeking for him because he understands that his earthly ministry, his earthly life has now just about, we're at that point where it is about to come to an end. And it is after this time that the gospel of Jesus Christ will go to the Gentiles. And so now he begins to speak in parabolic form. Notice what I said to you guys earlier about the truly, truly. And again, we have in verse number 24, one of those truly, truly, which means pay certain attention to what I'm about to say. What did he say? I say unto you, what? Unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground, falls into the earth and dies. Notice that's the idea. Falling to the earth and dies, the grain of wheat. So this is speaking in a parabolic gesture. Imagine getting wheat and you take the wheat and plant it in the ground. And you can kind of see the picture for yourself. Jesus dying and being buried. And that's the whole idea. His death and his burial. Notice, if it does not do this, if that grain simply remains above the ground, remain above the ground meaning remains alive, it means for Jesus to remain in his earthly ministry, his ministry so far as it pertains to the Jewish people alone, because notice the context, the Greeks, the Gentiles are looking for Jesus. And notice how he's giving this parable. The wheat remaining is it's alone. The ministry of Jesus is alone with the Jews. But if it dies and goes into the ground, what? If it dies, it bears much fruit, more fruit than just the Jews, but the fruit of the Jews and the Gentiles taking us back to what Jesus said also, what about him being the shepherd and about his having a flock. 
One flock is the Jewish flock. But what did Jesus say? Other sheep I have who are not of this fold, the Jewish fold. This is speaking of the Gentile. And what will happen? There'll be one fold, both Jew and Gentile. This is the teaching of the apostle Paul in the book of Ephesians. But anyway, it bears much fruit. So Jesus is simply saying what? The time has come for his, we know, crucifixion to the which he would die, be buried, resurrected from the dead, blah, 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 everything that I've already said. And what will happen? His death would bring about much fruit. And that is the coming of the Gentiles. Because what happens, as I said to you earlier, book of Acts 9, 10, 11, thus forward, the gospel goes to the Gentile. They hear and believe in great number. Okay. And so then he continues to say, verse number 25 and 26. Now, if you don't watch it, you'll kind of lose the idea of what Jesus says. He says, he who loves his life, loses. He who hates his life in this world will keep it into eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. Okay. Now, why did he say that? Because Jesus is reflecting on what he himself is about to do. That is, he is about to give the ultimate expression of obedience, the ultimate expression of following after, or should I even say it this way, of doing the will of God the Father. He is about to willingly lay down his life in obedience to God. This is the ultimate sacrifice. And by Jesus humbling himself and giving his life in obedience to God the Father, he sets forth an example for us all to follow. Notice, what does a person hold more dear to himself than his own life? And that's why Jesus says, he who loves his life loses it. If you love your own life, if you love your own will, if you cannot set aside what you want and follow after Jesus and serve Jesus and believe in Jesus, then ultimately the life that you're trying to hold on so hard to, you actually will lose it. But if you give up your life, if you give up your way of thinking, if you give up your will, if you subject yourself to say, you know what? It doesn't matter what I think, what I feel. The only thing that is important is the will of Jesus, the will of God. That's all that's important. And that's what I'm going to do. So you know what I'm going to do as far as I'm concerned about my life? I'm going to give up my life my will and my desire to do what is pleasing to God. And Jesus says, but when you give up your life like that, you just gained eternal life for this is the will of the Lord. And this is following after the example of Jesus. So the whole point, he simply said all of that to say that as I give up my life in obedience to the father, you must follow my example and be willing to give up your life in obedience and service 
to me. Because notice the next thing he said, if anyone does what serves me, <laughs> he must follow me. And following me means to do as I do and even to follow my example. What? Even not to love your own life, even to what? The point of death. You must keep and follow my example of service and obedience. And then he simply makes a promise. And this is just another way of talking about eternal life. And my servant, wherever I am, my servant will be also, and my father will honor him. To those who give their lives in service to Jesus. And it doesn't mean simply to die. It means ultimately, if it means you have to die, yes, it does mean that. But, it, but the idea is to holistically and completely follow Jesus with your everything. Kind of like the Deuteronomy 6 and 4. Love the Lord your God, all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, all your might. It, it kind of means that. And the idea is loving and following Jesus in this same way. So what do we see? We see that as these Gentiles, and this is the context throughout, as these Gentiles are seeking Jesus, Jesus makes it known that the time for his departure, his crucifixion, his crucifixion is at hand. But the result of his departure will be the bringing end of the Gentiles. Now let's continue. Verse number 27. Now my soul has become troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came out of heaven. I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. So the crowd of people who stood by and heard it were saying that it thundered. Others were saying an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered and said, this voice has not come for my sake, but for your sakes. Now judgment is upon this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And, and I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. But he was saying this to indicate the kind of death by which he was to die. Okay, now we got a lot to cover in that section. So let's start. So Jesus continues to speak and he says, okay, what I have just said is a troubling thing and it can trouble my soul. But what am I about to say? Now, listen, am I going to back down knowing what? That the seed must fall to the earth and die? Jesus knew not only that he would die, but he also knew the greatness of the sufferings that he would have to endure physically. He was well aware of the brutality that would be inflicted upon him by the Jews and especially by the Romans. And so with all of this impending doom that is physically upon Jesus, he says, should I now appeal to my father to deliver me? Lord, save me. I don't want to die. He says, heck no. Father, don't deliver me, but glorify your name. Again, let me say it again. Jesus never tried to skirt the cross. 
Jesus never tried to avoid the cross. You, you know, some, you hear some people saying when Jesus was in the garden of Gethsemane and he prayed that this cup should be taken away from him, he was speaking of the cross. That was not what Jesus was speaking about at all. Okay. I, I, I don't have time to get into it, but since I opened that door, like a Pandora's box, because you'll be wondering, but what was he talking about? It was doing that. Jesus knew that he was going to the cross. He was prepared for it. That's why he told them at the Passover table, come on, let us get up and let us go. The one who is about to betray us is at hand. And Jesus went and prayed for the strength, his own strength, and of course, the strength of his disciples. But when Jesus was asking about that cup, it was because it was at that moment. So let me just take it a little slow. And so listen, so you'll get it. It was at that moment. See, Jesus knew the cross was about to come, but Jesus did not expect that he had to bear all of the experiences of men. That is, we are spiritually men. We are what? Dead in our trespasses and our sins. So therefore, Jesus had to take the full weight and the full experience that we have with God. That is, there is a certain, and I speak, I speak, oh man, I hate I opened this box, but let me finish it. I speak with respect to his humanity, because remember, Jesus is both what? God mm, and man. Mm. In his divine side, in his deity, he remains God, one with God, eternal. But he is a human being, son of man, son of man. So he has what? As a man, he has a human body. And pay attention. Here's your key, guys. And a human spirit. A what? Human, human spirit. And so what happened? See, as God, he's never separated. But when it came time for the price to be paid, when it came time for the weight of the sins to be upon his world, Jesus had to experience all of the pathos, all of that which makes us us. We are dead in sin. Our spirits our spiritual fellowship with God is dead. That is something Jesus has never experienced in his life. All throughout his life, he has always been spiritually in his humanity, spiritually aware of the presence of God all the time. But when he came into the garden, all of a sudden, it hit him. And what? It is now officially time for the weight of the sins of humanity to be placed upon him. And that's when in Jesus' human spirit, his what, saints? Human spirit, he began to experience that separation from God, not his divine nature, human spirit. He took upon himself the same thing that we have. And he, and this, can I say it like disfellowship in a sense, 
in his human spirit. So you got to get that. That's why I keep saying human spirit, human spirit, human spirit, not his divine nature. But in his humanity, that human spirit, that fellowship was broken and it caught Jesus by so, so much surprise. He didn't know what to do. And that's when he began to plead with God. Okay, fine. I don't mind going to the cross. Fine, I'll do that. But don't do this. Don't break that thing where I can't hear you. I can't sense you. The, that's what was going on. You see, the sufferings of Jesus is far beyond our comprehensions. We'll never completely understood, understand exactly all that the Son of God, that the Son of Man experienced in this humiliation. Okay, 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 okay. Enough of that. I'm going way too far. So, my whole point, Jesus never tried not to go to the cross. He always looked forward to that. So, what do we see here? Jesus being aware that the time is coming. He said, what? Should I try to avoid it and pray to God to get me out of it? He says, no way. Father, glorify your name. Now, notice something. Once again, the cross brings glory to God. Why? It accomplishes God's will. It satisfies the wrath of God toward sinners, to those who believe, put their faith in Jesus as Lord and Messiah, understanding that Jesus took upon himself in his body the full wrath of God, you escape God's wrath. And so there, and this was all the plan of God. This was the will of God. So therefore, in Jesus doing God's will, it brings God glory. It brings God joy because this is the will of God that ultimately in the sacrifice of his son, he will save his elect people. Okay, so but the point is, let's go back to the text because I've gone way too far on this. He asked God to glorify his name. So we see it brings both glory to the son of man, to Jesus, and glory to God himself. And when Jesus spoke these words, God spoke from heaven and saying, I have glorified it once before and I will glorify it again. Now, it seems that God is speaking either to that, that the baptism of Jesus. Remember when the voice came from heaven, when Jesus himself was baptized and the voice came from heaven. See, or in the transfiguration, when the voice came from heaven, this is my beloved son, hear him, Matthew chapter 17. But the idea is once before in the life of Jesus, I have glorified my name. And now as we move to the point of the death of Jesus, I will also glorify my name. So when this particular thing happened, there were two, two types of people in the audience. Those who were unbelievers, the spiritually dull people, and those who were believers, the spiritual perceptive people. What do I mean? Because those who were unbelievers, the spiritually dull, all they heard was thunder, rumble. But those who were spiritually perceptive, the believers, they, they knew something significant happened. 
even though they didn't know the exact words that were being said, they knew something of a divine nature, a divinely involved nature. They knew something like that was going on. What did they say? They say an angel out of heaven just spoke to him. So two types of people, one dull of hearing, another, those who were spiritually perceptive. And one group understood that this was beginning to confirm Jesus's words and to confirm what he had been saying to them all along about himself, who he is and why he has come. So Jesus began to say what? When the, uh, the people began to speak, he said that this voice did not come out of heaven. Simply for me, it came for you. So this was a validating voice that came out of heaven. That's what Jesus is saying. It was validating that which I said for your benefits. And then Jesus began to say this statement. Now judgment is upon this world. And okay, now let me just take this part slow. Notice, don't leave the context, his upcoming death and crucifixion. Judgment is coming upon this world. And he continues on because this is the same idea. And the ruler of this world will be cast out. So let's deal with that. So what does he mean? In Jesus's death, in his crucifixion, death, burial, resurrection. So you got to understand it holistically. Okay. But it, we know it starts with what? The death of Jesus. Satan is cast down. The power that Satan holds in this world is broken officially by the death of Jesus. That's why it says now is what? the judgment upon the world by Jesus dying and paying the price for sin judgment is being taken care of and judgment here is having a two edged sword, not only judgment for sin, but judgment upon Satan himself. Why? The ruler, Satan is the pseudo, pseudo means false, but Satan is the ruler of the world. He is the prince of the darkness. He is the prince and power of this, of the air. He is the ruler of this present age. But Jesus is saying what? He is now proclaiming and obtaining victory and power over this world and over the ruler of this world by virtue of what? His crucifixion and death. Now, why was I yamming on about that? It is because, and oh man, I don't want to get into it. I don't want to get into it. But let me just stick, let me, I'll I throw you a little secret out. All throughout the scripture. And I cannot, I cannot get into it, guys. But those of you who are spiritually perceptive, those of you who can hear angels speak <laughs> and not just thunder, all throughout scripture, the devil has done everything that he could to keep Jesus from going to the cross from the point of preventing his birth unto the point of keeping Jesus from going to the cross. That's what the Genesis six ordeal. I actually did a teaching on all of that. When you saw the sons of God going into the daughters of men and creating Nephilim, Nephilim, the fallen ones in that, that was that scenario was all about trying to stop 
the seed of the woman from coming into the world. When you see the destruction or the attempt to destroy the Jewish people and you open up uh, 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 certain books of the Bible and you see where uh, 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 I cannot think about that guy's name, but it was during the time Esther and Mordecai and the guy uh, tried to destroy the Jewish people. I don't know why my name, mine is going blank, but trying to destroy the Jewish people. Why? Trying to keep the seed from being born. Okay. Again, Let's go back to the time Mary was had her baby. All of a sudden you see King Herod. What does he do? He sends his soldiers to kill all babies two years and younger. Why? Trying to prevent the seed. Okay, let's go on. Now Jesus is born. What do you see? At Jesus' baptism, he's taken out and then Satan begins to tempt him. And what does Satan say? Bow to me and I will give you the world. Again, trying to keep Jesus from going to the cross, Jesus making certain declarations in his ministry, declaring himself to be God, declaring himself to be equal with God. And the people wanted to do what? To kill Jesus. And at times Jesus would do what? Supernaturally pass through the people. Can't kill, you can't kill him before. What? Okay, that's enough. That's enough. That's enough. What am I trying to say? Satan has, has made attempt after attempt to keep Jesus from going to the cross. Why? Because he knows that the going to the cross by Jesus would bring about his ultimate demise. It is over. That's why you see in the, in the letter of Peter, when, when Peter tells you that Jesus, when it says went into hell, it doesn't mean into burning hell. It means into Sheol, the place of departed spirits. And I don't want to get into all of that. I did a video on that. Do a search and find out about it. But he went there. He was not preaching. Jesus was not preaching to people who had died saying you have another chance at being saved. No, Jesus was preaching to those spirits who were disobedient during the time of Noah. These are demonic spirits. These are fallen angels. Jesus was preaching at that time because for Jesus to enter Sheol, he had to die. He was preaching victory. I won and you Got it coming now. Why? Because I just paid the price. Okay, okay, okay. Enough of that. I'm digressing too much and John 12 is too long. But let's go back. Now is the rule of this world cast down. And now has judgment come. In the cross of Jesus, it is victory. Victory over the power of sin. Judgment to this world. Victory over over the devil himself, the ruler of this world is cast down. And that's why, what does he continue to say? And I, speaking of himself, no one can accomplish this but Jesus alone. I, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men unto me. Okay, let me make sure I hit it. Okay, I'm still in, I'm still there. So what is he saying? If I be lifted up, then it says signified by which he must die. So let's deal with that. He signifies the manner in which he must die. Lifting up was the manner of Roman crucifixion. Put you on a cross, lift you up, set that thing into the ground, let you hang, suffer, and die. And that's he's speaking to what? Roman crucifixion. All right. So it's clearly he's speaking of death, right? But the whole context, what's the whole context? 
Remember the Greeks, Gentiles were looking for Jesus. And that's when Jesus went into this speaking that he did. He says, if a grain of wheat stays above the ground, it remains alone. But if that grain of wheat should fall into the ground, be buried, it will produce much fruit. Idea, many Gentiles will come after Jesus has been crucified, resurrected from the dead, of course. And then again, if I be lifted up that crucifixion on the cross, I'll draw all men. And here the all does not mean all men in the sense of numerical all. That is every man that has ever lived. It doesn't mean that. This is all pontos in the sense of all kinds. Why? Because number one, we already see Jewish men have been brought to Jesus, Jewish people. You got it. Jewish people have been brought to Jesus. And I just talked about all of that. Remember, I talked about the Greek Syrophoenician woman. Jesus said you can't give the children's bread, how Jesus ministry was primarily to the Jews. He has already brought certain men to himself. But then there's another great number of men, the Gentiles that Jesus is going to focus on. So I'm not going to only bring Jewish people to myself, but I'm going to also bring Gentiles to myself. Why? That's the context of the passage. The context of this passage is not about universal salvation. Universal salvation is literally that in the end, God will save everybody. That is not what Jesus is talking about. Stay with the context. Greeks, Gentiles. Remember Andrew and Philip? They so confused. Why? Gentiles want to see Jesus. We don't know what to do. Is, is this right to do? Is this right to do? Jesus is saying, yes, it is right to do in time, in time, because why? I'm going to draw all kinds of men, both Jew and Gentile to myself. Eventually, Acts 9, 10, 11, thus forward. Okay. And then it said he's speaking about that in which he would be crucified. That is talking about how he would be crucified by the Romans. Now, interesting to say, the people who were usually usually not too sharp. They understood what Jesus meant when he talked about being lifted up. That is his death. And so we continue on about the idea or the, uh, uh, of the beliefs of the people concerning the Messiah and what he was supposed to do. But let's just get into it and we'll talk about it. Verse number 34, when Jesus said that the crowd then answered him, we have heard out of the law that the Christ is to remain forever. And how can you say the son of man must be lifted up? Who is this son of man? So Jesus said to them, for a little while longer, the light is among you. Walk while you have the light so that darkness will not overtake you. He who walks in the darkness does not know where he goes. While you have the light, believe in the light so that you may become sons of the light. Now, these things Jesus spoke. And he went away and hid himself from them. Okay, so now notice something. When Jesus talked about the issue of being lifted up, the people immediately responded and said, wait a minute, wait a minute. We have heard in the law, that is according to the teachings of scripture, that the Messiah, once he comes, is to live, live, and remain with the people forever. So this tells you, okay, and now that part they had right. What they didn't, okay, they're simply saying, 
according to our understanding of the word of God, the Christ does not come and be killed like you just said, because they understood Jesus in referring to son of man. Notice they tied Jesus uh, words of son of man to the understanding of being the Christ. And they are basically synonymous. They are basically synonymous. Son of man speaks to the Messiah. He is the Messiah. Daniel chapter seven, I believe that is. He is the Messiah and son of man also refers to him being a human being. Got to have that human body to be sacrificed. You got it? So he is the Christ and the people make this rightful coming together of both ideas, Christ and son of man. But they refers to his reigning in power forever. Now, when they say the son of man is to remain forever, what they missed out, what they didn't understand was, and we'll talk about that later on in chapter 12, as we finish this, they missed Isaiah 53, that the son of man, the Messiah has to die and give his life for his people wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. They missed that part that the Christ had to first suffer and die. And then in his return, and we're not going to try to fill in all of these gaps, but just let me say it generically. In his return, when he rules and reigns and sits on the throne of his father, David, he will rule and reign in the sense, in the sense, in the sense forever. You got it? Rule and reign then forever. So they're looking to that part of it and they miss the first part where it became necessary for him to die. So that's why they speak to Jesus in this confusion. They said, wait a minute, if you are the Christ, how can you speak of dying when the Christ is supposed to live forever? But you keep referring to this son of man, son of man. Well, then who is this son of man? Because he got to be different from the Christ. Why? Because the Christ is supposed to stay forever. The son of man you're talking about is going to die. So therefore, the son of man and the Christ can't be the same person. Can they? And that's what they're beginning to say. So Jesus does not get into really so much as answering their question. It's been answered within itself. Son of man is the Christ. Accept it or don't accept it. It is what it is. So Jesus just simply uh, admonishes and encourages them to be faithful, to believe in him while he is still with him. And here's where he refers to himself as what? The light. And he speaks in this term of light and darkness, darkness being in sin, light being in the revelatory knowledge of God that leads to salvation. And Jesus is that revelatory knowledge of God, knowing who Jesus is. Son of God, son of man is what, and faith in that is what leads to salvation. So walk in the light while you have the light so that the darkness of sin and unbelief does not overtake you. So the whole idea Jesus simply saying is, you might as well accept what I just said about dying because the bottom line is I will not be with you much longer. I am indeed going to die. Okay. Verse 38, uh, 37, 37. Okay. Now here's where it gets a little, it's good. It's really good. And, and this is why I decided not to do all of 12 at one time. But though he had performed 
so many signs before them, yet they were not believing in him. This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah, the prophet, which he spoke. Lord, who has believed our report and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Okay, let's, let's stop there. Let's stop there because there's a lot. Okay, notice what it says. But though he had performed so many signs, yet they were not believing in him. Although Jesus had performed a preponderance, he had given them a preponderance of evidence in the performing of the signs. Remember the three messianic miracles, healing of a leper. No one had ever done that. Opening the eyes of one that is born blind. And then we have, oh, 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 and let us not forget the resurrection of Lazarus from the dead after Lazarus had been dead four days. Also what? Also what? The miracles that John, the signs that John has included in his gospel. Remember the whole point of John's sign miracle. Only God can do these things. But anyway, okay, okay. Let's not get into all of that. But although Jesus had performed so many signs in the sense of simply saying this, nobody in their right mind could say he is not who he claims to be. He must be the Messiah. Why? He has given so much proof. The evidence is overwhelming. But what does it say? Even though Jesus performed he gave overwhelming beyond any, any reasonable doubt that he indeed is the Messiah. Notice, even though with so much evidence, still they could not believe. Now, here's where we're going Here is where we have verse number 38. And I'm going to slow it down a little bit because I want you guys to really get it. What is called a Hena clause. Hena is the Greek word. It's a Greek word. And it simply is a conjunction that speaks to purpose. It is a conjunction that speaks to purpose. So notice, bring the whole idea. Now here's what you got to get. Okay. Actually guys, the truth of the matter is I could bring, you could bring a great teaching on this and it could be an extensive teaching within itself. But because we're talking about John and I'm trying to finish it, I can't elaborate extensively. So, Pray the Lord, open your eyes through his spirit. The Hena clause is a purposeful clause. Stay with the context of what is being said. Now again, what? He did all of these signs, right? Overwhelming evidence and still no amount of evidence could convince them that Jesus was the Messiah. You say, well, why? Why couldn't, why couldn't the evidence itself convince him? He says, Hena, Hena, Hena. Why? This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah, the prophet. The word of Isaiah, the prophet is what? The word of God. This is the word of God. This they could not believe. Did you, do you see it? To fulfill the word of Isaiah, the prophet. That is Isaiah 53 and 1. Now, when it talks about the 53, my God, I can. Okay, okay, I cannot. But. When, it, when, I, when you hear me say Isaiah 53 and 1, all right, and usually, no, not no, usually, all the time, whenever the New Testament prophets would simply quote a passage of scripture, 
they not only mean that specific passage. That's when I said Isaiah 53 verse one. Okay. They mean the context of that whole passage. All right. So therefore he is not only speaking of 53 and one, he's just quote 53 and one because all the Jews know what the context of that whole passage is. The context of the whole of Isaiah 53 is the death of the Messiah. It deals with the death as well as the resurrection of the Messiah. And notice the whole context of what Jesus has been talking about. What? The Greeks came to see Jesus. Jesus says, what must happen to that kernel of wheat? It has to fall to the ground and die. But if it dies, it brings forth what? Jew and Gentile. A whole lot of fruit. The whole issue is what? Father, he said, the time has come. Glorify your, the death of Jesus. You got it? The whole idea of Isaiah 53 is what? The death of Jesus. But notice how it begins. To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? When it talks about the arm of the Lord being revealed, it means the power of God. What did Jesus do? What did John select in his gospels in showing the miracles of Jesus? John selected demonstrations of power. John selected miracles to simply say, do you see what Jesus just did? Only God can do that. What did the blind man say to the Pharisees? He said, now, isn't it amazing how we know that never has been heard of a man born blind? A person can open his eyes, but Jesus just opened my eyes. And what happened with Lazarus? Lord, he has been dead for four days and his body has decayed. His spirit has entered into Sheol. And what did Jesus say? Didn't I tell you that if you believe, you'll see the glory of God. And what did he do? He brought his soul back into a body that was decayed, restored his body and popped his soul right. Okay. The arm the power of God has definitely been being revealed. They saw it. There is no reason under the sun why you should not believe Jesus because he has proved it. But still, in the preponderance of the evidence, why could they not believe him? Notice, this was done to fulfill the words of what again? The prophet Isaiah. That what? God through his Messiah would do magnificent things. That's Isaiah 53 and one. God, the Messiah would do amazing things. And yet what? The people still will not believe in the Messiah. Do you get it? Okay. Let, let me, let me show Let me slow it down. What is John doing? John is thinking, I'm talking about the right of John here. He's saying, it's amazing how Jesus did all this stuff and the people still didn't believe in him. He said, okay, I got it. They could not. Notice what I just said, saying, oh, I want you to get it. This is so principal to the gospel of John. They couldn't believe. Why? God's word can never be violated. God's word can never be broken. What does the word of God says? The arm of the Lord, the power of God 
would be revealed. And what does the word of God continue to say? And still they would not believe. What am I trying to say? Jesus fulfills this. This is what John is literally saying here because the power of God is demonstrated in Jesus and no other man has demonstrated the power of God like Jesus, God in the flesh. If the people had believed, now notice, if the people had been convinced in Jesus, had believed in Jesus by the workings of these miracles, it would have violated the word of God. What did the word of God say? The power would be revealed and yet they won't believe. Notice if the people had believed, then wait a minute, then God was wrong. Why? The power of God was demonstrated and the people say, yeah, we believe you. If the people believe, then I guess what? Isaiah would be wrong. What is Isaiah? Isaiah is the word of God. If the people would have believed, it would have violated the word of God. Okay. What am I trying to say? Even though Jesus did all of these things, they could not believe. And this is what we're going to get into later on. So I guess I need to stop blasting off at the mouth and get to it. But Jesus did all of these things. It was the predetermined will of God that the people should not believe in the face of overcoming, overwhelming evidence. God had determined, God had willed that Jesus should do all of these things and God had willed and said, and yet I don't want them to believe it. And remember, 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 to believe in these miracles of Jesus. Now, this does not mean absolutely for every single person. This is speaking in general for the whole. There were a few who believed. There were a few who believed. These are the believers in Jesus. But speaking of the whole, the great masses of people to who, who knew about what Jesus did, they didn't believe. This is what we've been talking about all the time, right? Why? Because, remember, here's the whole point. Because because. The reason why I'm hesitating is because there's so much material to go back to. And this again is another teaching. All John chapter six, verse six through what? 36 through 41. All that the father gives unto me will come unto me. And those who come unto me, I will not cast out. We dealt with election, election. Those through the sovereign will of God, those whom God in his own will has determined to save. You see that? You see it now? So therefore, what is John putting together for us? He said, this fulfills what Isaiah said. Even though Jesus did all of this stuff, they would not believe. Why? It is the will of God that they should not believe. They are not the elect of God. They were not the chosen ones of God. For if they were chosen of God, back to John chapter six, back again to what Jesus said, uh, uh, was it, uh, 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 was it chapter nine? Uh, no, I'm in six. I'm still in six about the bread, about the bread. Didn't I not tell you that you were not my sheep? Why? My sheep hear my voice. You are not the chosen one of my father because what? You would respond to me. So therefore what? Even though, and I'm ending this because I went too long again. Jesus did all of these miracles. They could not believe it. Why? 
It fulfills the scripture. Their unbelief, their unbelief fulfills the scripture, the word spoken by Isaiah. God will demonstrate his power and yet they will not believe. Now let's finish this and you'll see how it all comes together. For this reason, I'm in that verse number 39, again with Isaiah. For this reason, they couldn't notice. See, I'm, I know I'm right. For this reason, they could, they, look what he's just said. For this reason, 39, they could not believe. Not that they would not believe. Would not means choice. Would not means choice. Could not means they were unable to believe. You see it? It is the divine. Okay, I need to read the scripture, but I'm trying to let you see it was the divine will of God that they shouldn't give them all of this evidence. And I still don't want them to believe it, but you're going to see it as we work through the text. For this reason, they could not believe. Why? For Isaiah said again, what? He, God, has blinded their eyes. He has hardened their heart. Hina, so that they would not see with their eyes and perceive with their heart and be converted and I heal them. These things Isaiah said because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Now, let me calm down so that I can explain it well so you'll get it, not just... <laughs> okay, what? Again, remember what I've been saying to you. The, the miracles, preponderance of evidence that Jesus did to prove that he was who he said that he was, son of God, son of man. But in this mir mir miracles evidence that should have convinced, would have convinced, that's not, anybody, anybody, still, it was kind of weird. He was unable to convince these Jews, speaking as a whole, as a whole. What did John say? John said, no, 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 no. The word of God is not fail. That's Paul again in Romans chapter nine, but I ain't going there. The word of God didn't fail. He said the word of God actually succeeded. Why? God said through the mouth of Isaiah, he would demonstrate great power to this people. And guess what? The people still wouldn't believe. So when you see him, that is God through the Messiah demonstrating great power and the people don't believe thumbs up check mark. Why? It just fulfilled scriptures. God is fulfilling his word. But what I'm taking you is, I want you to see the importance of what is actually happening. This not this fulfilling the word of God is dealing with salvation. Salvation. Okay, why? Because to believe in Jesus is to save your soul. Believe in the light while the light is with you so that you don't walk in the darkness. Believe in me. But yet what? Though he did all of these things, didn't do no good. Then they still did not believe in the light. They still did not believe in him. They still did not believe unto him for their salvation. Why? Isaiah said he going to do all of this strong, powerful stuff and that they reject him. Now let's get to the part where we are. What? Then again, he said, what? Uh, 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 verse number three. For this reason, notice verse number 39, what I was saying. For this reason, they could not, not, they would not, they were unable to believe. Why? Again, this comes because of what Isaiah said. This is now found, this section, in chapter 6. Slowing it down. In chapter 6, 
there is the call of Isaiah. Y'all remember, in the year that King Uzziah died, I also saw the Lord. The Lord had his trains of robe that filled the temple and all of the smoke and all of the seraphim and the praising of him. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Holy, 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 holy. And Isaiah said, woe is me. I'm a dead man. <laughs> unclean mouth, doing unclean people. And then all of a sudden the angel come, touch his tongue. And then once Isaiah is clean, here comes the voice of God. Whom shall I send and whom shall go for us? Whom shall we send? Who shall go for us? And then Isaiah said, okay, I'm now cleaned up, Lord. Might as well send me. Then God gives him a message. Go unto this people and say, and go unto this people and preach this message. That's the end of chapter six. Tear, preach. He shut their eyes, harden their hearts, close their ears. Now, okay, calming down. And this is what John is saying right here. Notice what the message says. Okay, notice. Calming down. Notice again, let me go back to John. Isaiah, Isaiah. What did he say in Isaiah? Shut their eyes, harden their hearts, close their ears so they won't hear. Now, that's what the message that came to Isaiah. This is what we call judicial hardening, judicial hardening. That is when God himself hardens the heart so that the person who hears sees still will not respond. You can see this being done with Pharaoh. Remember the Bible said this way, and God hardened when Pharaoh hardened his own heart. But overall, there were times when we can see when God himself hardened Pharaoh's heart. What does that mean? God would do a miracle or sign through Moses, or he would send Moses, let my people go. And God didn't want Pharaoh. He didn't want Pharaoh to let the people go. Why? So that God could bring judgment upon Egypt. Do you understand that? God would harden Pharaoh's heart so that Pharaoh would not let the people go. Why? Hina, Hina, in order that God would bring judgment upon Pharaoh and the Egyptians to demonstrate his glory, majesty, and power. So God hardened his heart so that he would not listen. This is what we see. This is again, judicial hardening. This is what happened to the people of Israel. This is the message that God gave to Isaiah in his time. And this is what John is saying. This judicial hardening continued on even to the time of Jesus. And let me just go ahead and tell you, since I'm here, it continues on saints, even today, right now, the judicial hardening of the Jews. And since I'm here and I don't have time to back it up right now, but I just go ahead and tell you the answer and the judicial hardening of the Jews will continue until the rapture of the church. Once the church has been raptured, God will begin to deal with the Jews once again, and he will remove the hardening and the blinders from their hearts through judgments. And then we'll find, we'll see two thirds of the Jews who will be unbelieving will perish and one third will be saved. But okay, I know I shouldn't have gone there. The Bible's a big book, but anyway, Let's go back to John. And I hope you guys are holding on what I'm saying. Why are the people unable? Why are the people not 
responding to the miracles of Jesus and believing. He says to fulfill the word of Isaiah. And here, as he's talking about it here, why? Because notice, notice verse number 40. Notice what I said. They could not believe. They could, the people could not believe. Jesus did all of these miracles and not that they would not, they could, they were unable to believe. Notice why? Verse 40, he, God has blinded their eyes. See, they see what Jesus is doing. Still, they don't get it. Why? God has hardened their heart. They hear the preaching of Jesus and still they won't respond to Jesus. You got a demon. You're demon possessed. Who, who wants to keep? Remember all these ugly things that they said about Jesus? Listen, and God has did these things. Notice what the text says. So that, that's another one of those Hena clauses, purpose clauses. Why, why did God blind the eyes and harden the hearts? so that they would not see with their eyes, perceive with their hearts, and be converted, and I healed them. In a nutshell, I didn't want them by Jesus doing these things to believe in Jesus, to see what he's doing, and have spiritual perception. Why? I didn't want them to be saved. Now, did you ever think you would hear it said that plainly? But Isaiah said that at the end of chapter 6. Look at it very closely. We don't have time to investigate it in this video, of course, but look at it very closely and even look at the words that John just spoke to you. God hardened their hearts. God blinded their eyes. Why? Because he didn't want them to see. He didn't want them to have spiritual perceptions. Why? Because if they saw and if their hearts were softened, they would believe in Jesus Turn to Jesus, be healed, be saved. But what did God say? I don't want you. God has rejected them. God did not desire to save them. Again, let's go all the way back to John chapter six, what you keep hearing me talk about again and again and again. Election is that is those who are called to salvation, those who are called to faith in Jesus, to believe in Jesus, be saved and have eternal life. Election is from of the sovereign will of God. John chapter one. It is not those who of the will of the flesh. It is not the, the, those born of God. John chapter six. Those who my father has given unto me, they will come. Not everybody, not simply people who hear me, not simply people who, who, uh, 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 who see the miracles. Yeah, they can see it, but still they won't see. Yeah, their hearts will be hardened. Why? They are not given to me of my father. Why is it they can see all that Jesus has done and all of the miracles that Jesus has done in the end, because God has determined, I want them to be blind. I want their hearts to be hardened. Why? I don't want them to believe in Jesus. Why? Because I don't want to save them. Again, what? Because if they do see with their eyes and their hearts are softened, they would turn and be converted, but I don't want them. So therefore what? They'll see all that the Messiah does. The arm of the Lord has been revealed and yet 
they will not believe in him. Why? I have chosen of my will, says God, not to save. I'll say it again. Salvation is of the Lord alone. It is never about he who runs. It is of the Lord who has chosen. You are not saved of yourself. You did not get saved because you got tired of living in sin, lying, stealing, adultery, fornication. It was never, ever you. It has always been from the beginning of time. It has always been God alone who saved. It is God who chooses unto salvation. That's what John says. Okay, enough of that. Okay, okay, okay. We wait too long. And then he begins to say, I know y'all got that. You may not like it, but you sure got it and you cannot argue. It's sure what John said and it's sure what the scripture said and it is sure what Isaiah said. God hardens the heart. But then he said, these things Isaiah said in verse number 41 in, in this section. He saw his glory and he spoke of him. Now notice what he said. These things that Isaiah said, he saw his glory. Notice what he is saying. When Isaiah chapter six, and a lot of people don't even understand it. John just told you the secret. He said, what did Isaiah open up and say? Isaiah 61. In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. It was not God the Father. Why? No man had ever seen God the Father at any time. John said, it was Jesus who Isaiah saw. Notice, these things Isaiah said, he'd been talking about Jesus the whole time. When they saw his glory, when he saw his glory, the glory of Jesus again. And I don't want to get into it, but it also shows us what again about Jesus pre-existence before he came in the flesh. He is the pre-existing God almighty. Isaiah saw him reigning, reigning even before he was ever born through Mary. Okay. But the whole point of verse number 41 is he, Isaiah, he spoke of him, Jesus, because notice the whole point about it. Why didn't they believe in Jesus? Isaiah said they can't believe in Jesus because this fulfills the word of God. He would demonstrate power and they wouldn't believe it. Isaiah six, uh, uh, preach that message, shut the eyes, harden the heart. Why? So they won't believe because what? This is what Isaiah saw when he saw Jesus. All right. Another said about that. That should make you shout on that one. All right. Verse number 42. Nevertheless, many even of the rulers believed in him, but because of the Pharisees, they were not confessing him for fear that they would be put out of the synagogue for they love the approval of men rather than the approval of God. Now, let's not spend a lot of time on this. All he is saying here is this. There were a lot of uh, 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 great men. It's not talking about rulers of synagogues and the priests or whatever, but great men, great men who actually did believe in God, did believe in Jesus. Notice, this goes to the point again when I was saying the Jewish people as a whole, those statements in general, in rejecting Jesus. You got it? But nevertheless, those who were chosen of God, John chapter six, the gifts from God, the father to the son, those Jews who were chosen to believe many of them, there were a number of them who were great people, great men. They actually believed in Jesus, 
but they were just unwilling to confess Jesus publicly because they were afraid of what the uh, religious leaders would do to them. That is, put them out the synagogue and they would lose their social stature amongst the people because they believed in Jesus. And John just simply said it this way, because what? They love the praises of men more than the praises that come from God. And we need to be careful of that. It doesn't matter to, about what men should say about you. It shouldn't matter about what men say about any of us. What matters is what God says about us. Jesus says, what? You'd be ashamed before me, but I'd be ashamed before you, my father and the holy angels. So let us always be bold to proclaim we are Christians and we are not ashamed. Amen. That's what Paul said. But anyway, so that's what happened with some of the rulers. Some of them actually believed, but they just didn't want to get uh, 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 ostracized. And so they kind of kept quiet and secretly just believed in Jesus. Let's go. 44. And Jesus cried out and said, now notice they, this is a response to those. Jesus is aware that some believe. You got it? He's aware. He who believes in me does not believe in me, but in him who sent me. He who sees me sees the one who sent me. I have come as light into the world so that everyone who believes in me will not remain in darkness. Let me just break this part up because it's so long and I don't want to read through all of it. It's just basically a response to Jesus. Jesus is simply saying, you're not believing in me a vain hope. You get it? A vain hope. Somebody who's just up here talking, some, some uh, religious figure of the day. It's more than that. You, by believing in me, what I am saying about myself, what I'm everything, everything about what I'm saying about myself, who I am. You actually are believing in God. So it is not an empty faith that you have to be worried about in some great person. I'm more than just a person. Your belief is in God because I came to do the will of God. Point that I want to bring to you here is notice how Jesus relates unity of both what himself and God. And we see that in the teachings of the scripture. I and the father are one. What did the people want to do? They wanted to stone him. Why? Because you being a man, you're making yourself equal with God. You got it? So they understand that that unity that Jesus speaks of is one with God. So I bring that part to you. Again, Jesus is making us, making them aware of that unity. But even more so, what he is simply saying is this. You don't have to be afraid of believing in me because it's not some vain religious person. No, indeed, believing in me means you are believing in the very God of Israel, the God of your fathers. Okay. And then he who sees me sees the one who sees, sees me. That's the idea. Seeing him, believing in him, accepting his preaching and teaching. All of it is basically the same thing. And all of it speaks of his unity with the father and dealing with and, and helping them, encouraging the hearts of the people who believe in him. You don't have a vain hope. You have a true hope in the true God of Israel. Uh, 47. If anyone hears my sayings and does not keep them, I do not judge him for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. He who rejects me and does not receive my sayings has one who judges him. The word I spoke 
is what will judge him at the last day. For I did not speak on my own initiative, but the father who sent me has given me a commandment as what to say and what to speak. I know that his commandment is eternal life. Therefore, the things I speak, I speak just as the father has told me. All right, wrapping it up. So he continues to say what? That anyone who does not, who hears his words and does not keep them, I don't judge him. He is just simply saying, and this is so good for us to see this. He has not come to judge the world. He has not come in the function of the Messiah to judge the world at this time. Point, he will come in what we call the second advent in the return of Jesus. And then he will sit on the seat, the throne of his father, David. And then he will bring judgment to the world. But right now, what is the overriding context? Go all the way back. The Greeks want to see you. The Greeks want to see you. Except the weak shall fall into the ground and die, it remains alone. If I be lifted up, he speaks by way he must glorify God through his death. You got it? In my word, I'm not going to judge you. I ain't come to judge the world. At this time, I came to save the world. How? By offering his life for sin, that seed that should fall to the ground. Okay. Then he continues to say in the idea of his word, if you reject him, it's not just simply him again, tying himself to the father unity with the father. And also to a warning of rejecting Jesus and rejecting what he has to say. He rejects me, does not reject my sin. There is a one who judges him. The word I speak will judge him on the last day. Okay. So therefore, even though Jesus does not come to judge the world at this time, he warns those still receive his word because what he does say, you see that at the very end, he says what he says because the father has sent him into the world to say these things. So he says these things with the authority of the father, but be mindful, be warned, do not reject Jesus's words. So even though he himself will not judge anybody in the last days, it will be the very words of Christ that will judge you. So therefore receive his words, humbly receive his words, his words to what, what he says about himself, who he says that he is believe that, Receive that so that you may be saved and escape the judgment on the last day. The judgment of what? Jesus' words. Did I not say unto you? Did I not say unto you? And then the words he said, which you rejected, will actually judge you when the time of judgment comes. Okay. And that's what he said. And then he just simply says, why? Why? Why his words? Why Jesus' words so important? Because they are not just his own empty words, but the words that the father has given him to say. So therefore, the words he is saying is the word of God. And therefore, you better take heed to the word of God. Whew. All right, we finally finished chapter 12. Thank you for joining me with all of that. And Let's just simply do a recap. And we can't recap long at all because it's been long enough. The Greeks wanted to see Jesus. 
And that started the fireworks, the Gentiles. And that's when Jesus began to say, the time has now come for me to die. For the wheat to be put into the ground. Because why? It'll come up. If it's put to the ground, it'll bring much fruit. Jesus, if I be crucified, I'll not only have one sheepfold, but I'll have another sheepfold, a huge one called the Gentile. And you know what? And if I, once I be lifted up, I will draw these Gentiles to myself. Acts 9, 10, 11, and even forward. The people begin to say, wait a minute. We thought that the Messiah was supposed to be here forever. Jesus says, no, I just told you I'm going to die. So just believe in that. You just walk in the light while you have the light. And then John said, it's amazing. They couldn't, they didn't believe Jesus. Even though he did all that stuff, they still didn't believe. He said, but I understand why they didn't believe in Jesus. It fulfilled the scriptures because Isaiah said what? The power of God would be demonstrated through his Messiah, Isaiah 53. The power of God would be demonstrated through his Messiah and the people would not believe. So therefore, the scripture had to be fulfilled. They couldn't believe. And then Isaiah said again, chapter six, what? Blind the eyes, harden the hearts. Why? Because God has chosen not to save them. Because what? If they mess up and see with their eyes and their hearts are not hardened, they would believe and they would be converted. But guess what? I don't want them to be. They could not because God says he, God, hardened the hearts so that God may show I have not I would have not chosen these people to, to be saved, to believe in Jesus, to see the evidence of the miracles and be convinced by this evidence that Jesus is who he is. I don't want them. I want them that although they see everything to still come up with a reason why not to believe. But I do have a few who believe. And some of the few that I have chosen to believe in Jesus are wealthy people, but they ain't going to confess Jesus because they love the praises of people more than they love the praises of God. But nevertheless, I, my son is going to say the words that I speak, you don't have to be worried about that. It is not an empty confession. It is not believing in some religious person. It's your faith in me is a genuine faith in God himself. Why? I have come into this world to do the things and speak the things that the God of your father has given me to speak. And that's the end of that. <sighs> thanks for joining me, guys. A long way working on all of that. But thanks for joining me with that. So join me next time as we get into uh, chapter 13. Now, even though it's amazing, we're only just about, just about a little bit over, halfway through John. But notice, we are literally days remaining in the life of Jesus with so much of John actually being left. But join me next time. We get into chapter 13 and we deal with Jesus' final Passover celebration with his apostles. Now, all right, guys, thanks for joining me with all of that. Now, let me say this. If the Lord has blessed your heart, and if you can say, Pastor Lee, thank you, and I want to thank God, I thank God for the, the, the knowledge and the wisdom and the understanding that he has given you to give unto me, to bless us with the understanding of the scripture. That's just a job. It's just a job, and I'm just a servant of the Lord. Nothing more, nothing less. But that's why Paul called it earthen vessels. But anyway, but if you can say that God has blessed your heart through these teachings and you say God has really helped me to open my mind and understanding to the Bible, may I ask you, will you join alongside of me? Support this ministry 
there is always a link in the description that'll show you how you can support the ministry. And to those of you who have supported this ministry, I have received your support. And let me say thank you and God bless you. All right, guys. See you next time.